Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 36. Let us now give our attention to the reading and the hearing of God's holy word. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. Jesus said unto them, Why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat it before them. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we do come before thee this morning and plead with thee that thou would speak to our hearts, that by the work of thy spirit you would give us understanding and insight as we consider these things this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts Be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. As we come to the end of the Gospel according to Luke, and as we finish out this passage here this next Lord's Day, We come to this passage that's a continuation of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. We've seen the women who came to the tomb on resurrection morning on that first day of the week, on the day of the new Sabbath, as they saw the body of the Lord Jesus Christ taken. We saw these two men on the road to Emmaus who walked and talked with Jesus And suddenly they discovered him as he broke bread with them. But in the continuation of that, we see the apostolic witness that is given here as Jesus comes directly to the eleven. Remember, Judas is not in the scene. He is taken away. He will be replaced in the book of Acts. Thomas, in John's gospel, is absent as well. But here Jesus comes in Luke's account to the eleven and stands before them. And the text tells us that as he came to them, he spoke these words, Peace be unto you. So as we think of this passage here this morning, Jesus gives this hope and this consolation to these disciples who are perhaps perplexed at this point. They're filled with with much unbelief, like oftentimes we can be. They knew that Christ said that he would rise again. Um, They heard the report of the empty tomb. Um, They knew what had taken place, but their minds still could not fully grasp what had taken place in those days. 
But here Jesus, first of all, speaks peace unto them. Some would say this was just a common greeting, which it was a common greeting. But there's more in that, those words, peace be unto, unto you, than a greeting. But here Jesus speaks that shalom. He speaks unto them peace. And he reminds them that in them they would find peace. Remember in the upper room there in the Gospel of John as Jesus is with his disciples there toward the end of his earthly life. He tells them that in the world you shall have tribulation. But he said what? Be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. And so he speaks peace to them. He reminds, reminds them that he is the Prince of Peace. And so it's more than a greeting, but it's that proclamation that Jesus comes to bring peace to them, but also to particularly bring peace unto them. Because as Jesus comes and declares peace unto them, he reminds them that he is risen. He reminds them, first of all, that he's not an imposter, that he's not just some phantom or ghost, but that he is their resurrected Savior and Redeemer. And these witnesses, that is the eyewitnesses, the apostles, have a foundation laid for their ministry in those words that Jesus spoke. Peace be unto you. Now you notice in John's Gospel, Jesus comes to them and what does he do? He breathes upon them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus breathes upon them, it's not the antics that you sometimes see in some of these revival meetings. But it is the spirit that the Lord Jesus Christ gives to them as he speaks peace. And so in John's gospel, he breathes upon them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And so this is foundational when we look at these apostolic witnesses. It's foundational for their ministry. They had walked by sight. And now they walk by faith. Jesus gives them the promise of peace so that their ministry might be founded, that it might stand. Faith was born in their hearts at this point. It's not that they didn't believe in Jesus. They had walked with him. But you know, it's interesting that they walked with him for three years and there were many things they didn't understand. And yet now he comes in the midst of them and says, Peace be unto you. And lays that foundation for their apostolic ministry. In the Gospel of John, chapter 19 and verse 20, the text tells us that Peter was, or Thomas was not present when Jesus appeared to the apostles there. But later he sees Thomas. You remember what Thomas says? I'll never believe unless I see the nail prints in his hands and his side. But as Thomas stands there before this resurrected Christ, he still by sight doesn't understand. He touches him. And what, is his, what are his words? My Lord and my God. And this lays the foundation for their apostolic ministry. If Christ had not been risen, then these witnesses were false. 
if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then Paul himself, Peter, and all of the apostles would have been false witnesses. There were some in the Corinthian church who denied the bodily resurrection of the dead. And yet what does Paul do? He proves the, the, proves it from the resurrection of Christ that by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, it guarantees our resurrection. And so there is a sense in which their apostolic ministry is given its foundation, is given its structure, because that ministry is a ministry by faith. And so Christ indeed is risen. All that he said of himself is true. And now he reminds them that he brings peace so that their ministry might be established. This is important because there were witnesses there that saw Christ. They saw the empty tomb. The, the two on the road to Emmaus had walked with him. But these 11 apostles are standing there ready to receive instruction that they might continue that apostolic ministry. We are reminded there in Romans chapter 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Galatians chapter 3 tells us that faith is born in us. Faith was born in those apostles on that day. And we see that practical confirmation of his resurrection and victory over sin. Not only does he come and lay that foundation by speaking peace to them. But the text goes on and tells us that they're terrified, even though he speaks peace. Verse 37 says he's, they're terrified. They're, they're frightened because they think they're seeing a spirit. But here Jesus gives confirmation of his resurrection and victory over death. He looks at them and says, why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise within your hearts? What does he say in verse 39? Behold my hands, my feet, that it is I myself, handle me and see, for my spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see. There are those, and even Jehovah's Witnesses, believe that Christ did not physically rise from the dead, but he rose in spirit, that this was just a spiritual resurrection. But how can this be a spiritual resurrection? Jesus here practically tells them a spirit does not have flesh and blood. That Christ stands before them in, his, in the same body that he died in. And yet now he's in a glorified state. And they did not understand that. They thought that this was beyond reason. They thought, perhaps in their own mind, that, that this might be irrational. But we must understand that oftentimes these things may be difficult for us to understand. But we don't believe things that are contrary to reason. We don't believe things that are irrational. John Owen says that faith is highly reasonable. That faith is highly rational. This was not some apparition, as some have seen apparitions. 
over the centuries. It's not some phantom that occurs, but it is the Lord Jesus Christ standing in his physical body before them, telling them to touch my hands and side and see that his spirit does not have flesh and, and bones. And then it says, when he had spoken this, he, he showed them his hands and his feet. Verse 41 is interesting because it says, while they yet believe, not for joy. In other words, there, there was a sense in which they, they believed, but they were not filled with joy at this point, but they were wondering. And then he says unto them, do you have any meat? So they gave him a piece of fish and honeycomb. The text says Jesus ate it before them. Again, Jesus is showing them in a practical way that there is a confirmation of his resurrection and victory over death. That the Lord Jesus Christ indeed ate as they did. That he took food, he took nourishment. And then as... The text shows us the Lord Jesus Christ shows that he indeed is a resurrected Christ both in body and soul. And so he reminds them as apostolic witnesses that Christ indeed is risen. If Christ is not risen, then we are believers... Laden with guilt of all of our sins. Perhaps there are some Christians who still feel laden with guilt because of past sins. Because of, of those sins that e easily entangles them. But we find that Christ is risen so that all of that guilt, all of that shame might be laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who now stands before them as the victorious Lamb of God who has taken away their sin. By believing in Christ, we profess to be delivered from condemnation, not and to be cleansed from guilt and from all of our sin. It has already been shown that if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is in vain. Christ indeed is a deceiver. His apostles are false witnesses. The gospel is false. The Old Testament is false. All of it is false if Christ be not risen. And that's why it was important that Christ come before these witnesses and testify that He is indeed the victorious Lamb of God who removes all of our sin. But we've already seen previously the proof of the resurrection, the empty tomb. We've seen the proof because of the witnesses. There were witnesses other than those apostles. And yet now we see that God himself is the last testimony to appear before them. The Lord Jesus Christ stands in victory. And he reminds them that he has granted them power and victory over sin and over death. And the Lord Jesus Christ shows us that his 
resurrection was a physical resurrection. It is a pledge. As the Apostle Paul reminds us now, Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who sleep. The first fruits were a sheaf taken from the field, waved before the Lord as the appointed means of obtaining blessing upon the harvest. And so by virtue of Christ's resurrection and through the favor that he has granted unto us, our vile bodies, our earthly bodies, will one day be like unto his glorious body. I've said this before, but I think the greatest thing that yet awaits believers is not our death, but our resurrection. We will be dead for a season, however long we're in that grave. But when Christ comes with the shout of acclamation on that final day, All of the graves will be raised, some unto life, some unto eternal death. But therein lies the wonderful promise that yet awaits us. We too will have a body just like Christ. Christ is both body and soul, flesh and blood. He possesses the same body that we possess. He's not just a phantom. And yet on that final day, we shall stand before that resurrected Christ. We will see Him just as the apostles saw Him. But now in that glorious state that we will share with Him. The resurrection indeed is the foundation of our faith. Without the resurrection, without understanding the significance of the resurrection, we have no hope Resurrection proves that we indeed have hope. These disciples perhaps were filled with despair. Perhaps they had no hope. Perhaps they needed to be reminded of that. And you know, sometimes we can go through life feeling that cloud of despair. We can go through life always feeling that weight of sin upon us. And yet Jesus Christ guarantees by his resurrection that we are people of hope, that we have that living hope because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. He is indeed the head and representative of all of his people, on which account we are said to be risen in him. And now seated with him in heavenly places. As members of the mystical body of Christ, we still contend with our enemies. We still continue with those who wage war against us. But we long for that glorious day when victory shall be fully ours. The guilt of our sin has been expiated. God has been reconciled to us, and now Christ can speak to us and say, Peace be unto you. All the hosts of hell are vanquished. Heaven is now open. Grace is promised to all who trust in Christ. And that glory is reserved for us in heaven. 
Oh, there's much we could say about this wonderful resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is our hope. We have the faith of Abraham. We have the faith of those prophets of old. If Christ be not risen, you are yet in your sins. And Christ indeed is perished. But if Christ is risen, as we believe and as this church testifies throughout the centuries, then we have that pledge. We have that promise. We have that ground of our hope. Remember those words at the end of Romans chapter 8. The apostle says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? What sin do you have to hold on to you, to, on to, to not realize that God lays nothing to your charge? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died, rather that is risen again, seated at the right hand of God, who promises us hope and victory. But the resurrection leads us to an assurance of faith. The risen Christ extends his peace to us in spite of our failures, in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of those sins that often entangle us. He speaks peace so that we might have that assurance of faith. The Christ does not speak peace to the wicked, But Christ only speaks peace to those whom by his own mercy he redeems. We could certainly think that Christ would become easily angered with these men for deserting him in his hour of need. He could have laid into them because of their doubts, because of their fears. While he could have certainly rebuked them for their doubts, notice the tone. Notice the gentle and gracious manner in which Jesus relates to them. I think this is a wonderful lesson that J.C. Ryle gives us from this section of the gospel that we often overlook. That just as Jesus tenderly dealt with those apostles and spoke peace to them, He reminds us that he is always gentle with us. He is always gracious to us. He always extends peace to us that we might have that full assurance of faith. Perhaps you're struggling with that assurance of faith. And yet the peace that Christ gives promises us victory, promises us eternal life. The Lord offers peace to us even though we know our past And oftentimes our past can certainly come to haunt us. We can hold on to those things. And yet these apostles, in their lack of faith, are visited by this one who says, Peace be unto thee. Words of Psalm 145 remind us of the mercies of the Lord. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, great in loving kindness. He is good to all and His mercies are over all His works. The Lord indeed, as David reminds us, is full of mercy 
and compassion. You know that the Lord offers peace even to those who doubt, even to those who have fear. Fear is something that easily plagues all of us. At certain times, I think all of us can easily say that we are filled with fear. But the Lord Jesus, by granting us peace, helps us in our doubts, helps us in our fears, when it's easy for us to look to the, to the wisdom of man, to calm our fears, to calm our doubts, we look to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our peace, who is our consolation. The fact that Jesus shows them his physical body is significant because Paul reminds us that flesh and blood cannot inherit God's kingdom. And so our bodies indeed must be changed. Oh, believer, I trust that as we look at this passage of Scripture, we not just see the facts of those witnesses, those just coming and and testifying to the resurrection of Christ, but that we see the foundation being laid for their apostolic ministry. This is important to our ministry here, that Christ be risen. Because if He not be risen, then we have no power to preach the gospel. We have no power to call sinners to repentance. We have no power to give comfort and encouragement to to, uh, saints who struggle in their doubts. Yet we see the foundation laid. We see that practical confirmation of His resurrection as victory over death. We have that wonderful assurance that because of Christ's peace, we indeed can overcome all things. Believer, as we... Believers, as we think about the wonderful resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're coming to the end of, of, of Luke's gospel, we want to be reminded of the benefits that the resurrection gives to us. Oftentimes we can overlook the benefits of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are three things I want to mention as we think about the resurrection of Christ The benefits of the resurrection are these. Our justification. Now children, you know what justification is, right? You've gone through the catechism. Some of you have done well. But if you go back to that shorter catechism and ask, what is justification? It is an act of God's free grace. Where He pardons all of our sins. And accepts us as righteous in his sight. Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us by faith alone. We saw last week in the Westminster Confession of Faith class. The the wonderful reminder and the great teaching on the doctrine of justification by faith. But the resurrection of Christ is what guarantees our justification. The resurrection of Christ guarantees that by God's free grace, you are pardoned of all of your sins, that you are received as righteous in His sight. Oh, pastor, I don't feel very righteous sometimes. But no matter what your feelings may be, no matter what you you may see by, by sight, by faith, trust, that Christ pardons our sins and accepts us as righteous. 
because of Christ's righteousness, by our justification. Reminded of those words there in Romans chapter 4 in that great dissertation of the Apostle Paul on the doctrine of justification by faith. He says there in chapter 4, verses 24 and 25. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that, what? Raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. And so the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ was for the purpose of delivering us from sin, was for the purpose of giving us life that we might receive by Christ alone. Without his resurrection, as we have said, we have no hope. Our salvation is not complete. Jesus had to rise again in order to conquer death so that we would not die. If Jesus had not been raised, we would remain in death. But his appearances prove that his sin was fully atoned for. His physical body of flesh and blood shows that he fully atoned for all of our sin. My sin is atoned for, my guilt taken away, and I am now at peace with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see that justification is a great benefit of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But secondly, we see that our sanctification is also a benefit of His resurrection. What is sanctification? A little difficult, more difficult question to memorize. But notice sanctification is different from justification. It is not an act of God free grace it is a work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in our whole man justification is one time it's never to be repeated but sanctification is ongoing we are continually made holy by the renewing of that whole man but notice what Paul reminds us of in Romans chapter 6 verse 4 Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. And Paul goes on and says, knowing that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should no longer serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we are dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Our sanctification is a reminder that we are alive, that we are quickened in Christ, that we are alive and dead to sin. Believer, the resurrection of Christ 
gives us that benefit of sanctification that reminds us that sin has no power over us. Oh, sometimes like that dog that returns to its vomit, some would like to go back and play with their sin. Sometimes we might continually go back to that which is familiar, but we are reminded that if we are in Christ, that sin has no hold on you. That sin has no power over you. For Christ, indeed, is the victorious Lamb who has conquered sin and death so that we might live. The third benefit of Christ's resurrection, and we have mentioned this before, is our own bodily resurrection. When you die someday, your body will will die your body will decay the lord jesus christ's body did not decay but your soul will be with the lord until that day of resurrection but there in romans chapter 8 verse 11 paul reminds us that the spirit of him that raised christ from the dead if it dwells in you he that raised up christ shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. And so on that day of resurrection morning, Christ will raise up our mortal bodies. He will quicken those bodies that have been dead, perhaps for thousands and thousands of years, but He will quicken them and give them life so that we might indeed live in glory. In Adam... All die. Children are not born in innocent innocence. We all die in Adam. But in Christ, we are made alive for, forever. The soul is at rest until that day of resurrection. For Christ is the firstfruits of the resurrection. He guarantees that because He lives, we too will live forever. Notice those words of Job in all of his affliction and all of his trial and all of his tribulations. He comes to the end and he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives and that he shall stand in that latter day upon the earth and after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh will I see God. Paul reminds us, O believer, that that body which is sown perishable, that body that is sown in the earth, that body that is put in that earthly grave, will be raised imperishable. It will be raised as a resurrected body. And we too guarantee that in glory we shall have a body like Christ physical body of flesh and bone one that indeed will be changed to live in glory that's why Paul tells us that flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God because our bodies must be changed and so we must be fitted for that glorious day when we will live with Christ forever and ever Believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Because Christ lives, all of your sin has been atoned for. All of your guilt has been removed. You no longer need to hold on to that guilt. Cast it upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You no need no longer hold on to that sin. You no longer need to go back to that same sin. But cast it upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember that He lives. And we too live as well. Oh, there's a wonderful consolation to believers as we come to this passage. Oftentimes we just kind of read through it. There's that tendency for us to just read through all the particulars of the passage. I think we want to see that this Lord Jesus Christ that they saw is now seated at the right hand of God. That he is now in glory waiting to receive his elect from all the nations of the earth. So believer, why doubt? Why hold on to fear? Why hold on to doubt? Perhaps there's fear of the future. Perhaps there's there's fear of what may come in this election year. Perhaps there's fear that, oh, everything looks bad. Oh, things are getting worse. Oh, things are much more glorious than we want to admit. For we know the future. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ lives We have hope. So believer, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Cast your sin upon Him. And remember that you can have that assurance of your salvation. You don't have to keep wondering for the next 10 years. Am I really saved? Am I going to get this right? You don't have to. Because Christ is risen and His resurrection guarantees confirms unto the witnesses, confirms unto us that Christ lives. But do we believe it? Do we have hope in this one who grants us victory? You do not know this Christ today. He lives. He lives to receive sinners. O sinner, cast yourself upon the mercy of Christ. And those who come to him, he will never cast away. May we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do give thee thanks for thy victory over sin, over death, and over the grave. We thank thee that in thy nature you were impeccable, that you were without sin, and yet you took our sin upon yourself. You took away our sin, our guilt, our shame. You have granted unto us that wonderful life that we have in you. O Lord Jesus Christ, this life we have now is only a foretaste of what is yet to come. But we pray that on this Sabbath day when we celebrate the resurrection of Christ from the dead, we pray that we might live in hope, that we might come particularly upon this day to meditate more and more upon the glorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we might be able to say with Job, I know that my Redeemer lives, and I shall see God. Confirm and strengthen our faith. Grant us strength in all of our doubts and fears. We might remember those words, Peace be unto thee. Hear our prayers, O Lord, and receive our thanksgiving, for we offer it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.